Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Kalmetta here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in the series, Revelation for Beginners, chapters 10 and 11. Susan, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So I am so excited to hear about chapters 10 and 11 today. Well, it is exciting. We are starting to get into the meat of this book, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Last chapter was definitely intense. Are we going to see that same Are we going to see that same intensity this time around? Um, yeah, we're going to see it pretty much all the way to the end now. <laughs> so, yeah, it's either a beautiful inspirational movie or a nightmare. <laughs> Depending <laughs> on what what theater you're in, okay? But, um, you know, I just want to thank everybody for following along with us and shout out to everybody who's joined us and following along. We appreciate it. And also what we're doing is a unique teaching of Revelation because we call it Revelation for Beginners. Okay, so if you consider yourself a beginner, okay, on uh, the Bible, you've read some of the Bible, you've kind of scratched the surface, you've never tackled Revelation before because you've tried and it just seems ridiculously difficult to read, or you don't have a church that even wants to open the book of Revelation. So we're here, we're going to do it. We do it one verse at a time, and we just kind of want to make it more understandable for people who are new to all of this, or maybe not. You just never looked at Revelation before. But so many people are put off by Revelation, Dina, because it is a very unique book in the Bible. It's a vision given to John, who is a disciple, one of the disciples of Jesus, And he finds himself in jail on the island of Patmos, and he's a much older man at this point when, you know, Jesus was crucified and resurrected many, many years prior. And so I would say, you know, it's maybe 60-some years later, something to that effect. He's much older, and it's just fantastic. He is taken by Jesus and shown this vision. And it's a single vision. Can you imagine being shown all of this, how overwhelming that would have been for him? Well, yeah, because he was seeing things that he probably was having a hard time to describe and to put into the words that, um, you know, you've been reading. Right, exactly. And just just as a quick overview of where we are at this point, when we were in the introduction, which is chapter one, that was the past because the revelation is set up as past, present, future. And so that would have been the past. That would have been the point where John is meeting Jesus on the island of Patmos, and he's, you know, letting him know that he's going to be doing this. And it's an introduction. And then we go on into chapters 2 and 3, which is very much present tense. It's the church age. It's Jesus addressing seven churches with letters for them giving them basically critiquing them (laughs) so are these denominations no no actually in reality there are probably individuals from the different churches in some of the denominations (laughs) you know so go back and watch our videos on chapters two and three about the seven churches that's something you really want to see 
Okay, so after chapters two and three, we move into chapter four, which is the future. So from four to the end of Revelation chapter 22 is absolutely going to be a look at the future. And so this is a very futuristic book of the Bible, but we need the rest of the Bible to understand Revelation because there's so much information throughout strewn throughout the Bible in both Old and New Testament that help understand and support what's going on in Revelation. So we have to have a real good understanding of the entire Bible to really grasp what's going on here. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to pull scripture up here that coordinates with the scripture and revelation to help get a more clear picture of just exactly what's happening here in this book. So I implore everybody, if you're joining us on chapter 10 and haven't seen the prior chapters one through nine, please go back and check some of those videos. I think you'll enjoy them because we actually tell a few jokes occasionally right Dana? <laughs> <laughs> we do we do have fun creating these for you guys and um and it's also jam-packed with um old testament scripture as well as new testament scripture and um you know it's intense in the word of god and what is going to happen but there are some fun things as well so yeah oh, right, right definitely well, we we can't take it too seriously because uh, we'd get too stressed out, okay? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And we're not there yet. We're not um, in the seals. We're not in the trumpets. We're not in any, any of that stuff right now. So, um, right. yeah, now it's just basically, you know, uh, learning about those things that are, are going to come upon the world, you know, during the tribulation. So no stress, you know. And I think, I think one thing that they'll like about this particular teaching is we're not afraid to say we don't know what that means, okay? Yeah, I mean, so. sometimes God doesn't um, reveal everything right now either. I mean, no. so <laughs> no. there's, yeah, there's some things that, you know, he's going to leave up to kind of the imagination. Like, for instance... Um, we were talking about in chapter nine, the 200 million army, you know, is that a okay. real physical army or is that a demonic invisible army? And then um, the locusts, you know, he was very right. creative in describing what they look like. So, right. he, so there's a lot of imagery and visionary stuff going on and, and God is not, you know, he doesn't always spell it out. No, not at all. And so much of the truth about God and the Bible is left up for discussion. And, you know, we can speculate about things, but a lot of what's to come is still going to be, you know, surprise for us. We're, we're going to be learning as we go along. So we're just going to try to take this a little at a time. We're going to hit, hit it one verse at a time. And I think that you're going to find this very interesting. Now, this particular section is very similar to when we were in Chapter 7. Back in Chapter 7, we took a snack break and got away from the seals and the trumpets so that the book talks about the 144,000 and the Gentile population. 
of the Left Behind Church, and then it goes right back into where it left off. And so here we are again. We are at a similar break between the sixth and seventh sealed judgments. And so it's a little bit of a quiet before a big storm coming up. But that's kind of where we are. And this may be another reason, Dina, that the revelation seems a little difficult to follow, is that there are breaks and things going on that if you don't know that, that you'd be like, wait, what? Okay, you know? Yes. uh, So here we are with verse 1, and we're taking a snack break from what we were doing with the seals, the 21 judgments, which are the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls, also known as vials. And so we're stepping away from that activity and we're doing this little break, and we're, go- we're going to take a look at something else here. And so we're going to verse 1, and it says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now, this angel right here, mighty angel, is Jesus Christ, okay? And there are other places in the Bible in which Jesus is called an angel and referred to as an angel, and so that's not a new concept. And if you go back to some of our prior videos, we discussed that. And so, Dina, at this point, I would just like to interject something, that this is one of the very good arguments for people to study Revelation is that there is so much detail about Jesus in Revelation. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And you're not going to get this kind of detail without reading it. And so that is a motive right there. This is exactly why the enemy would definitely want people to not read this book, because we learn a lot about Jesus in the scriptures in Revelation. And it's fascinating. He's described in much more detail throughout and it's really really very awesome some of the stuff okay so in this particular section kind of exciting because we see that jesus has a rainbow upon his head now i just want to say that people think the rainbow is something that we only see at the time of you know where noah is given the covenant of the rainbow that god won't destroy the earth again with floods, like at the time of the great flood. Mm -hmm. And so that's not the case. We go back in Isaiah, and you can see the rainbow over the throne of God. And here is another instance that a rainbow is over the head of Jesus. And so the rainbow is a very significant symbol of God, more so than just the rainbow that is discussed in the book with the story of Noah, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's very exciting. And we can certainly see that the enemy would not like the rainbow because it's a, it's a great symbol of God. So that's pretty great. And then we go on here and we see that he is clothed with a cloud. Now, I think that's pretty awesome. And if you do a little study about the clouds and Jesus and clouds, it, you know, there's a lot of reference to Jesus in the clouds. Okay. In the Bible? Like the rapture. Right, right. And so if you go to Psalm 97.2, the scripture says, 
Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Okay, and so, wow, that's really interesting. Exodus 19.9.16 goes on to say, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders, lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mount. And so in Exodus 40, verse 34, it says at the time that they finished the tabernacle that a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so then, if you take a look at the Mount of Transfiguration, it was a bright cloud overshadowed them. And that's at the point where God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am very well pleased. Hear ye him. So we find that in Matthew 17, 5. Also, when Jesus departs, in Luke 21:27, they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When he returns, he will come with clouds, and every eye shall see him in Revelation 1:7. So we see a whole lot mentioned about Jesus and this cloud. And I think we also know that it has to do with the glory cloud of the Lord. And so I thought I would bring a little something to this presentation this time. I, I'm sure that our listening audience had no idea that we were going to be doing show and tell, right? Did you know that? <laughs> no. Do you remember in school, they'd say, could you bring something to class that you want to oh, talk about? Oh, yes, in grade school. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I have a little something special that I brought that I want to talk about, Okay. See, Dina doesn't even know about this, right? <laughs> now I'm curious okay. now. Now I'm really okay. curious. All right. So I brought some very special pictures. And what happened was we used to do retreats. For anybody that doesn't know, we used to have, uh, I used to teach retreats all the time. And we were doing a retreat one time. And we, we had some pretty cool locations we went to. One time we were at a mansion. And, you know, the people that came to the retreats were always there to learn about the Bible, and they were real excited about the Lord. It was always a, a really fun time. And so one of my retreat uh, members came to me. She had taken, she'd gone around and taken pictures of the place we were at, because it was a really neat place, and we had it for the weekend. And she was so stunned, Dina, because for some reason, her phone camera was perfect she showed me all the pictures leading up to the picture she took were perfectly clear and then she showed me pictures she had taken since that were perfectly fine but some pictures that she took during our retreat there were clouds that showed up in the pictures oh that's incredible Yes, it was. And so we have, I have a couple pictures I'll show you. There was one picture that we were in one of the rooms of some of the attendees. And you can see the cloud is kind of forming around the bottom of the room. Okay. And then you go into the dining hall, the dining, well, the dining room, you can see the cloud. It's very cloudy around the top of the room. So it's like the cloud either was low or it was high you know and it it was just like wow if you look at it 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 doesn't have a it's not like a photo that is 
damaged or anything. It's definitely like a glory cloud. And so if anybody's never seen that, and I know there are people who have actually seen it with their own eyes, but this is something that was captured in film. And so I thought that was really, really great, you know. And so over and over, we see the clouds uh, having to do with the Lord. And so that's that's really exciting. Anyway, so that was my little show and tell for this program. <laughs> so basically, God showed up at your meetings. He was yes, there. Yes, he did. Amen. Oh, yeah. Yes, he was. And that's really awesome. I love it when he does that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to verse 2. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And so this is a picture of Jesus, who's about to take control of the earth and sea, okay? And that's why he's got one foot on the earth and one on the sea. He's in charge of it all, okay? Mm -hmm. And it goes on in verse 3. And he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And verse 4 goes on, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. Now this is John talking. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And verse 5 says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. Okay, I want to iterate here. We have to remember that this is also a vision that John is having. He's having a literal vision. And God is showing him this through a vision. And so there are many times in the Bible where we see a vision of something and it's not an actual event. It's still just a vision. And here's an example of that. It's when Daniel is shown, you know, he's shown like the tree situation with Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. Before he went crazy. Right, right. And so whether it be a dream or a vision, sometimes God shows things that are, you know, symbolic. And that may likely be the case here. But that tree was symbolic of Nebuchadnezzar. But there was no, there was not actually a tree, okay, so to speak. So that could explain what's going on here. Verse 5 says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. So this is, you know, wow. God is really in charge. There's no doubt. We see it here. Verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Verse 8 says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me, and said, Go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth, who is Jesus. Verse 9 says, And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter. 
but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. Verse 10 says, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Okay, so what we are understanding here is that what's happening here with John is a description of the word of God and how it works with the human being. Okay, when we start consuming the word of God, which is the Bible, we start reading it. Yes, the word of Jesus is sweet to our taste. We see that in Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And then we see in Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. And then also we see in the study of Song of Solomon that the word is likened to honey, which is has an eternal quality, by the way. Honey is everlasting in, the, in that they have actually opened tombs during Pharaoh's time 3,000 years ago in which they had stored honey. They took it out and the honey was completely still in good shape after 3,000 years. That's just so incredible. It is, you know, it is, a, it is one amazing thing. And so God likens his word to the properties of honey, which is, seems like it's eternal. But now when he takes this and he consumes it, it's bitter in his belly. So what does that mean? Well, I think what it means is we love how the Lord is leading us to the fruits of the Spirit, right? We love that God is teaching us how to be made in his image, you know, so that we would follow these fruits of the Spirit. But at the same time, learning about our mistakes and how evil we've been can be very bitter. That's true. And it can be a very, it can be a hard pill to swallow when you're reading the Bible and you find out just how bad you are. <laughs> and I have said before that the Holy Spirit is a gentle teacher. He doesn't hit you with all the bad stuff right up front or, or you go running, <laughs> Dina. <laughs> You'd be out the door. <laughs> And he knows so it. true, so true. He, he is a gentle teacher. I mean, he can hold your hand, and for years, you don't know you're doing something wrong until that day comes, and he shows you what you've done wrong, and it's like, oh, man, I can't believe this, you know? But the Lord is like that, and it's hard. It's one of the hardest things that we do is, the Bible calls it discipleship, sanctification. It's where we wash our robes in the blood, and we get the stain-free, wrinkle-free robes, because the Lord is, you know, taking out the dross, just like in the silversmith is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. He has to burn out the dross in order to perfect the person to make the individual in the image of Christ. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. There's going to be moments of discipline that we need. And in Hebrew, if you go back to Hebrews 12 and go back there and read that, it talks about how God disciplines those he loves, he, the son he loves. And so if you are without discipline by the Lord, you would be a bastard, the scripture says. And so... We want to be disciplined by the Lord, but again, it's bitter. It's hard. It's hard to find out about your bad self, right? You know? 
Yeah, it is. And so here's another example that I give to people is like when people are in a really dark room for a period of time, let's say the room is completely dark and then all of a sudden somebody opens the door up and a bright light comes in. I mean, a really bright light Mm -hmm. and your eyes, you know, all of a sudden they sting because of that light, right? They kind of burn a little even. Yes. Your eyes dilating. And that is a perfect example of what happens when someone, you know, turns their life over to the Lord and the light hits them, there's there's a little pain involved. It's it's gonna be there's gonna be some pain in the adjustment to coming into the light from being in the dark. Do you see that? I can so relate to that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead with the final scripture of chapter 10 and it goes on to say and he said unto me thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings and boy was that a that was a prophetic word about prophesying how do you like that (laughs) that's perfect yeah jesus gives a prophecy here and he declares that for john to go out and reach the nations and tongues and kings and boy did this book has this book gone out and reached people wow i'm sure john had no idea when he was on the island of patmos that this book would have the kind of reach that it has two thousand years later even (laughs) it still keeps on giving right that's right (laughs) yeah and it imagine he would receive a word for people that would be living 2,000 years later. I mean, that is just fantastic. Supernatural. Supernatural. Okay, well, let's hit chapter 11, which is, you know, we're still sort of in a snack break here. But what we're going to take a look at next is we're going to move into some exciting stuff. We get to talk a little bit about the two witnesses. Remember those guys? (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's kind of exciting. Right. Right. So let's begin with verse one. And there was given me a wreath like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. And it goes on in verse two, but the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months. And so this little mention of the temple, okay, just for historical reference, I want to talk about the history of temples for Israel. And so we see the first temple, Dina, that was built, we know is Solomon's temple. And you can get a whole lot of information about that if you go into 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So if you want to learn a lot about Solomon's temple, then I would recommend uh, reading First and Second Chronicles. It's a very fascinating books. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Now, that temple was destroyed by King Nebi, Nebuchadnezzar of, of Babylon. And that took place about 590 B.C. So we can see how far that was before even Jesus shows up, right? Mm-hmm. And so then, approximately 70 years later, we see a second temple built. 
and it was under the jurisdiction of Joshua and Zerubbabel. Okay, there I said it. I'm not going to try that word again, okay? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> boy, I don't know what I would do if I had a name like that. I really don't. So those two oversaw that second temple time period, and that temple, again, was destroyed. And even Jesus talked about it, right? He talked about the destruction of it, that not a not anything would be left standing, right? That's right. He said not a stone would be left standing, I believe. Right. And it was, okay, historic records say that it was destroyed by a fellow by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay. And he was actually like a Greek Syrian ruler and evil man, an antichrist in his own right. Okay. And what he did was to mock the Hebrews, the Israelites, he put a pig in the temple, which actually was a foretelling of the Antichrist who will set himself up in the tribulation period in the third temple. That's right. Okay. So I just want to mention that they have the plans for this third temple, Dina. You knew that, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And so I have provided Dina with a link of an animated or a, I don't know how you would, computer-aided guide of the plans of the Third Temple. So I think that might be very interesting for people, that this thing is really just on the cusp of being created. And I That's think how we close kn- we are to the tribulation. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think people should know by now that when they decide to put a building up, it can go up in just a matter of, you know, a month that's right now. yeah and they've got the plans for it i believe they i think i've read that they even know who they want to build it so we're just really right there that's how close we are but i want to make this clear that we don't need to see that temple built before jesus will come for his church so that is a sign of the second coming and not the rapture So a lot of people get that mixed up, and a lot of people say, oh, that thing hasn't been built yet, so I don't have to worry about Jesus coming. Wrong, you'd be wrong, because the rapture itself is a signless event, and in fact, it is a sign. It is a sign of the second coming. So it's a sign itself, so to speak. That's right. Okay, well, let's go forward and get into some really exciting stuff. We're going to start talking about the time period which would be about midway into tribulation, the two witnesses come on the scene. And so let's talk about them. We see them show up in verse 3 of chapter 11. And so you might want to put this in your notes so that you can know where this takes place. But let me read it. It says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand Two thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. So verse four goes on and says, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And so these are symbols of God and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the olive trees we see there has to do with olive oil, which is, you know, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. 
candlesticks, just like in the seven churches. The reference of the candles, the candlesticks, had to do with the church, and so being the light of the world. And that's also, you know, the reference here for these guys, the two witnesses, that they are coming with the light. They are prophets. So there you go. Let's move forward to learn more about these two. Verse 5 says, And if any man heard them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Wow. Now that's a wow, right? That means that there is going to be people that are going to try and kill them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so verse 6 says, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And so not a reach, because if you go to James in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, it says that Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit so do you remember that scripture a little bit yes that he was able to do that okay verse 7 says and when they shall have finished their testimony the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them And so the enemy is going to come after these two. Very clear. Then verse 8, And their dead body shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So you can't be in two cities at once. So we're not actually talking about Sodom and Egypt. We're talking about the location that Jesus was crucified, and that would be Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem here is spiritually bankrupt because God refers to them as of Sodom and Egypt, which we can tell you that these are two places that God considered to be most evil. Sodom, we saw, was destroyed completely because of their evil, and Egypt had you know, a series of 10 plagues culminating up to the death of the firstborn uh, by the angel of death. And so, wow, you know, to make reference that Jerusalem had become like these two cities, this this is profound about the direction that they're heading in. But boy, I mean, I, you can see it, Dina, you can see this uh, coming about, can't you? Absolutely. Like, You know, it wasn't so long ago that Israel hosted the Burning Man event. Do you remember that? That's right. That's right. They did. I believe that they did. Yeah, the United States has done that. They do that out in, I think it's Nevada. But yes, they did this out in the desert. And I'm just, I mean, that is probably one of the most decadent events that anybody you know, (laughs) could participate in. And the fact that they put that near Israel is just so telling, don't you think? Well, Israel is, has become very, 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 very liberal Mm -hmm. over the years. Like there are things that I see there that I'm like, it shouldn't be in the holy land, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's surprising, but this is a time and age that we're in right now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, 
no surprise that the enemy is always messing with Israel, right? Oh, yeah. Always because trying to Israel know, step is, on God's toes. Yeah, exactly. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Well, that's right. And this might be a good time to mention something. You know, it's funny because we're always hearing about the news of Israel over and over and over. I mean, you don't turn on and hear the news every day about Belgium. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't get up every day. What's going on in Belgium? I don't know, but that Belgium, there's so much going on. We can't keep it. No, it's always Israel, always Israel. And so my son, when he was little, he came to me one day and he goes, so what's going on with Israel? What's the deal with Israel? Why does everybody dislike Israel? And the Bible says that Israel will be a cup of trembling to the whole world. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, did you know that Israel is about the size of New Jersey? That is crazy to me. And yeah, I did know that. I mean, compared to all the other countries around them, they're just like a tiny little sliver of land. Well, that's true. And so one of the things I had said to my son is, okay, here's the problem with the world coming up against Israel. Because God gave Israel the responsibility of the Ten Commandments, and they were the people that he gave that to, and he had a covenant with them as well. And basically, I believe that these world leaders and evil people in the world, they believe that if they could destroy or eliminate Israel, then they could delete God out of the picture. That actually makes sense. Yeah, and if they could, you know, write God out by getting rid of this Israel, then, you know, then who would have to follow the rules of the Bible? Nobody, you know, they don't want to be convicted by this Bible. That's the problem. They don't want to be convicted by this God. And so that's the goal for them, and that's why it's so significant to the powers that be to dispense with Israel. And so with that said, let's go ahead and take a look at what happens next with these two witnesses. Okay, verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And how did they torment them, Dina? They, um, they reminded them of their sin. There you go. They told the truth. Yeah. They were truth tellers. Yeah, and they and didn't like them because they turned right. the the water to blood and they shut the heavens so that there was no rain. They experienced some drought. You know, uh, all of it combined. You know, they well, thought, finally, we got, we got rid of them. When people are intrinsically evil and outside of God's will and not surrendered to the will of God the Father and they operate in evil, then they cannot stand being around the truth. It torments them. They don't want any part in being told the truth. They don't want to hear it. It's kind of like, you know, Charlie Brown's mother, want, want, want. They don't want to listen to it, right? And that's, that's torment for them. And so when these two witnesses die, they're just elated that they don't have to hear conviction from the word of God, I'm sure. And so verse 11 says, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet 
and great fear fell upon them which saw them. So he First, raised them from the dead. Right. And God entered into them. And so it goes on to say, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and that glory cloud we talked about and their enemies beheld them. And verse 13 goes on and it says, in the same hour, there was a great earthquake and the 10th part of the city fell. And in the earthquake, excuse me, earthquake were slain of men 7,000 and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. Okay, so Dina, I just want to talk about these two witnesses. Absolutely. Let's talk about them. All right. Well, I want to just say who I think these guys are. That's right, because they kind of drop out of nowhere. Well, let's take a look at this, because I think that I can speculate and so I don't want all the listeners to just go, okay, she says this, so now. But I think we can all speculate on what we think. And I'm going to speculate, and I'm going to say why I believe as I do, okay? Okay. All right, well, let's take a look at Malachi. That's Italian for Mal- Malachi, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to Malachi 3, 1 and 4, 5. Let me read. Okay, behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will send you, Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so right there we see that Elijah is a candidate for this role be based on scripture. And so it makes sense because uh, Elijah was one of the two people in the Bible who was taken out alive to be with God. Okay. That's right. He never died. Never died. He went out on a chariot and that was it. He was gone. And then Elijah takes over after him but first elijah he disappears and so we see in this scripture that he is going to be the prophet before the coming of the great and dread dreadful day of the lord and so then i know some people say moses could be well moses cannot i don't think because he died he died because if you go into the book of jude and you go to scripture and you look at jude chapter 1 verse 9 It says, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses and durst not bring against him railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. So very clearly we see that Moses passed away and I believe God hid his body so that they wouldn't worship the location of his body. So he is not one who has left alive And so he would not be coming back to die a second time, Dina. Makes sense. Moses is not a candidate because he died. We see it in the scripture. And that means he can't die a second time because it's appointed to men to die once. Right? Amen. Amen. Okay. So the only other candidate would be Enoch. Okay. At this point. 
because Enoch was called out of the earth by God and he was no more, the Bible says. And so he too, like Elijah, was taken out alive. And here's another thing to consider about Elijah and Enoch. They were not among the dead in Christ to rise out of the earth because they were already in heaven, right? That's right. And they would not have been among the living, of course, the raptured church, because they were already in heaven. But now watch this. They could not, the two of them, have received a glorified body while they were in heaven before Jesus. And do you want to know why? Why? Because Jesus, when he received a glorified body after his resurrection, was the first fruits of the brethren. And so they can't usurp Jesus in him receiving the glorified body. You mean they couldn't cut in line? No cutting. That's right. (laughs) That's exactly right. They could not cut in front of Jesus. He was the first fruit. And so what that means is they have to come back to earth as the two witnesses die And then at that point when God says, come up hither to them, and they have a mini rapture right there, is when they would achieve or receive that glorified body. And so there you have it. That's my estimation of this. And I think you're right on, you're right on point. I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm not going to. And as far as any other living human being at this point, uh, that would, again, that would not qualify them for this role okay Mm -hmm. so we'll just leave it at that because here's the reason why it couldn't be someone living today because that would still leave enoch and elijah hanging there (laughs) without their glorified body these two men still have to get those glorified bodies okay so that okay let's just call it a day and uh Okay, I'm, <laughs> all right, I, that's that's how I'm going to leave it. So, okay, so there's a terrible earthquake that goes on <laughs> at the time of their death, and uh, just, just a horrible time for the people on earth because they're mocking God and his uh, prophets, the two witnesses. Okay, verse 14 wraps up that section and says, The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. <laughs> Remember, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, we got whoa, whoa, and now we still need to do <laughs> All right, Dina. Believe it or not, we're getting back into another trumpet right now. This is the seventh trumpet here at verse 15. And so it starts with, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, And he shall reign forever and ever. And then verse 16 goes forward and says, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God. Now, any time you see reference to the elders, the four and twenty elders, just know those were the dead in Christ who rose first. And then the other church that's living, which was 
taken out of the earth behind them, they are one and the same group. So it's like salt and pepper. I had said that before. When you see salt, you're going to see pepper. Mm-hmm. So when you see that dead in Christ had, who had risen, then you're going to see the raptured church that uh, the scripture talks about, that they follow right behind the dead in Christ. So when you see those guys referenced, then you know it's also the raptured church. Verse 17 goes on to say, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and are to come, because thou hast taken thee thy great power and hast reigned. Okay, here's the theme of Revelation again. We're seeing, you know, the theme is God was, God is, and God will be. And we see that throughout Revelation. And so verse 18, the, And the nations were angry. And thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And 19 goes on to say, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings, voices, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. And so basically we're seeing kind of an ending, a close of the vision here. But why? Why would that be, Dina? Because we are still just in chapter 11, and we have bowls and everything else yet to go through. And so I'm going to tell you what's going on here. For those who are like scratching their head going, wow, this is really confusing. And so what has happened is, believe it or not, chapter 6 through 11 are explaining a part of Revelation. And then chapter 12 through chapter 19, verse 15, is basically a rerun of what 6 through 11 was. And so let me explain this in a way that, you know, we can understand this more clearly. In the New Testament, Dina, there are four Gospels, right? Mm -hmm. And we know them to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, correct? That's correct. Okay, so those four are the same story told from four perspectives, okay? Mm-hmm. And four different angles. But God wanted it that way. Jesus's life and crucifixion was so insignificant that he wanted four perspectives. And so there was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? So the same can be said of Revelation. Revelation, tribulation, has two perspectives of that seven-year period. And so chapter 6 through 11 is a is a certain type of perspective of the tribulation. And then if you look at chapters 12 through 19, it's a different perspective of the same time frame. Very is interesting. Understandable. Yes. So now we're wrapping up the end of, we're heading into the end of tribulation 
in the end of uh, chapter 11, and we pick it up again with 12 as if we're starting in 6, only we're doing a whole different version of the same time frame. And that's when we start to get into things like the Antichrist and the false prophets and the one world religion. And so we'll be studying that as we move forward. But that's why I'm trying to explain this to people, and this is where some of the confusion lies in understanding Revelation. It's a, it's a dual perspective study of the same time frame, which is called the seven-year tribulation period. And so that's where we're going to wrap right now is the close of chapter 11, and we will go next into chapter 12, and it's as if we're starting at the beginning of tribulation and moving forward from a whole different angle. And so I hope that provides clarification and understanding to all of our listeners about this book. That's awesome that you explain that because I am sure that there was a lot of confusion over that. So thank you for that, Susan. Okay. And so we look forward to moving forward into this next, you know, understanding of Revelation. And I'm excited for chapter 12 and 13 and 14. Right. They're going to be some... It, it is exciting. Yeah, some really exciting uh, chapters there. Well, Susan, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. This will be uploaded to, of course, YouTube and BitChute and Rumble. And we will also have copies of it on, or I'm sorry, podcasts that uh, Deanna is so good to create for us. And they will be on Anchor and Spotify and Google and Apple. And you can also find this on our playlist on YouTube at Jesus 24-7. And of course, it'll be on our social media pages. And I want to encourage you guys to share these videos so that people are aware of the times that are coming and um, so that they can also better understand the book of Revelation. And so um, we appreciate it when you guys do share. But thank you again so much for watching. Please do leave your comments below this video. And Susan, is there anything else you'd like to add? Just that I hope everybody continues to pick it up with us when we start in chapter 12. Yes, yes, you guys. So come and see us next week. We'll be posting again next week so that you can follow along. All right, everybody, with all of that said, thank you again. Have a wonderful day, and uh, we will be seeing you soon. God bless.